Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host. I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Please be sure to check us out at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and also subscribe on your favorite syndication network. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Blog Talk Radio. We're on Spotify. We're on a number of different outlets where we can be reached conveniently and you can gain immediate access to a treasure trove of information relevant to business creators like yourself, including today's episode. Now, we have a topic today that we've touched on a couple times over the course of the history of Business Creators Radio Show. We've been here for over five and a half years. We're proud to say that we're one of the longest-running podcasts that's been on continuously in today's environment, and we're very excited to continue that trend. We've spoken about storytelling. We've spoken about story selling. And what we're going to cover today is the stories entrepreneurs must tell and to share with us what this means and how it's relevant to you is a gentleman named Mike Adams. And I'm going to tell you briefly about him. Mike Adams, he lives in Melbourne, Australia. He's an engineer, and he's the author of a book called Seven Stories Every Salesperson Must Tell. And he has a pretty interesting background, and I can just tell you a little bit about it with each of his changes. He's gone from career to job to job the company to company, with each industry strange landing him on the wrong side of a steep learning curve, Mike learned to seek out and share some specific persuasive stories, and now he finds stories and teaches storytelling for a consulting client base as diverse and international as his own sales career. There's a bit more to Mike's story, and in a second we're going to have him tell you in his own words, but first of all, let's bring him in. Mike Adams, jump on in. The weather's fine. Weather's good here, too, in Melbourne. Thanks, Adam. You bet. What we'd like to do now is I imagine that there are some folks who are right now opening a separate browser tab. They're doing an Internet search on Mike Adams and seven stories every salesperson must tell. So before we dive into the main core of what we're going to share today, and I know you have a lot of topics you'd like to get through with us today, so we're going to move as fast as we can. What I'd like to do is just sort of take a step back and ask you in your own words, Mike, what is it about your journey and what do we need to know about you and how that's influenced your journey to where you are today serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Adam. Well, I'm, a, I'm trained as an engineer. I'm an electrical engineer. By nature, I am a technical person. And... And we, we tend not to sell that well, us technical people. Um, we're not the ideal candidates for being salespeople. And there's some reasons for that, but uh, I think most of your listeners probably appreciate it. Maybe some of your listeners think of themselves as technical people and that selling is pretty difficult. But uh, a long time ago, 1996 actually, I was working in the United Kingdom in London as a technical expert, I was actually working on a thing called a neural network back when that was not a thing at all, uh, software for, for analyzing rocks. I was working in the oil and gas industry and I was trying to classify rocks. And, and my boss called me into his office and he said, Mike, we've got this fabulous career opportunity for you. And, you know, your heart sinks when you hear that in a big corporation. I was working for a massive company because, you know, that just means he's got a job no one else wants to do. But right. what he wanted to do was send me to Norway and be a salesperson. I'm thinking, wow, Norway, I'd love to go to Norway. Sales, no, don't want to do that. But what actually came out of my mouth was, well, I, I can't go to Norway because my wife is, is eight months pregnant. And, um, but I went home that night and she was really keen too. And we actually flew on the last possible day that you could fly when you're pregnant, pregnant and landed. We got, our second son was born in Stavanger in Norway. And I became a salesperson, a really bad one, um, Adam, for quite a while, but I was extremely fortunate. I, I landed the biggest deal in our division, in our company globally, from Norway, which was a bit of a backwater for our company, um, by accident. I just happened to, 
to meet the ideal client that not only wanted to buy what I had to sell, but wanted to sell it internally to his company worldwide, one of the biggest oil companies in the world. And that made me think I could do this job, even though I really couldn't at that time. But uh, but that led me into sales, and I ended up selling. I ran ended up running sales teams in Russia and throughout Europe, and then came back to Australia and had to change industry because there was no oil and gas industry where I where we chose to live in uh, in Melbourne in Australia. So I moved into telecommunications, and I, I got into selling really big ticket items. You know, we're talking more than hundred million dollar deals, and changed industry three more times after that, and. And because I'm an engineer and because selling didn't come very easily to me, I'm quite analytical about it and really trying to notice what the very best salespeople do. And the very best salespeople often often don't have the title salesperson. The very best ones are often the managing directors and the founders of companies or the business managers. And, and if you listen carefully to these people that have really made businesses, you'll notice that they tell stories all the time. Quite often they don't notice that they're doing it, but if you point it out to them, they notice it. And and that was a big clue for me when I realized that there are types of stories that you can tell at specific time times in a sales process. That was when my selling career really took off and that was what gave me the, the confidence to actually change industry, to move into an industry where I didn't have a clue what I was selling, didn't have a clue what, what even the right language was, but I was able to sell and eventually sold more than a billion dollars worth of stuff, mostly services, um, but uh, yeah, and then got into consulting and, and then wrote a book about it because it's an interesting topic, storytelling. Wow, see, and that's a great story and it does illustrate the power of this whole storytelling or as some might say, story selling approach. I myself am very aware that I teach through stories. In fact, it's my favorite way of doing it. I found yeah. that when I tell stories, people can find their own ways to relate to the story, whether it's something that happened to them in real life, whether it's something that happened to them while they were uh, imagining conversations where they were winning debates while they were in the shower, or whether it happened to yeah. a friend of theirs. I mean, uh, uh, one way or another, they can find their way into the story and find elements of it that make it feel like it's their story in a way. So aside from that, and aside from everything you've shared so far, what are some of the reasons that most business people do tell these stories? I know it has something to do with what's going on in the mind. It does, and that's something that I wanted to understand. And because of my background in, in artificial intelligence, well before that was a thing, and I've really kept up with that, I've been really interested in how our brains really work. And, and not many people appreciate what's happening every second of every day with our mind. The, the biggest part of our brain, the neocortex, that's the big wrinkly thing on the outside. It's about three quarters of your brain volume. If, you were, if your listeners were to hold two fists together, that's about the size of your brain in two halves, exactly like two fists. And if you were to lay that all out flat, you've got the neocortex was about the size of a dinner napkin, three, three millimeters thick, so an eighth of an inch thick. And that's that's the part of your brain that is predicting everything that's going to happen. It's a memory prediction organ, actually. It's, uh, it's predicting what's going to happen next. And, and because, because stories are sequences of events that are, by definition, unpredictable, we pay attention to stories. Our, our brain, whenever our brain thinks it can predict what's going to happen next, it just moves on to the next thing that it wants to predict and it just pushes that prediction to a subconscious level. And, and we, do, we, do, we have amazing powers of memory prediction. We don't really appreciate. You know, probably everyone's experienced that feeling of, of driving somewhere and arriving and then wondering how on earth you got there because your brain just did it for you automatically. You knew that route so well and you could predict everything about it and you just sort of forgot that it, how you got there. Well, that's what our brain is doing all the time. It's not really paying attention. But stories, right. we, we know that they're going to have some little twist, some little surprise in them. And so they, we, people do pay attention. And, and in business, it's hard to get people's attention. You, know, you want your buyer to listen to you. But telling stories is just the perfect way to 
pass information across in an easy way that that the other person's mind is is adapted to to hear and to listen to. So it's just the perfect tool. And and you said something about you know like thinking up stories in the shower and you know figuring out what you're going to say. I, w- I would like to counsel that we should tell true stories. They don't have to be stories of things that happened to us, but we can as we can certainly tell someone else's story. Um, but we need to check the facts and make sure that we're not making out that that happened to us, that it, it did happen to the other person. And, and one of the skills of storytelling that I I teach in the book is, is learning how to tell someone else's story in a way that is, is also authentic and and captures their attention. And the seven stories in the Seven Stories book are are stories that have a different character um, that work at a different point in the buying process. If you think of the sequence, you know, what does it take for your client, your future client, to buy something, there's a sequence of things that have to happen in their mind. And the, the first thing that has to happen is they have to accept you as someone, they get, sorry, they're going to have to accept that you are someone they should trust and that you're actually an authority in the thing that you're representing. So we call, so the stories that help you connect with that person are the very first stories that you need to tell. And I told my personal story about you know, why I wrote that book and that's a type of connection story. But you could also tell the story of your CEO or your technical head of customer service, whoever else that the, the buyer needs to trust in the process. And you should, you must tell your company story. Why does your company exist and why didn't it fail and, and where is it going? Those three stories, personal story, key person, key staff story, and company story are stories that, that get you started in the conversation and we we tell those stories so that we can ask a very innocent question something like well enough about me what about you how did you get into that role how did your company come to exist and then we're sharing stories and and really it's it's the exchange it's the sharing of stories that starts to build rapport and trust and positions you as an authority and and that's critically important that's something that's not well taught in selling, it's not well understood, but it is what the very best salespeople do. There will be another right. reason why you should tell stories is because the very best salespeople do it all the time. If you pay attention, you'll notice. Interesting. So, you know, you touched on a lot of very powerful points here, and it makes me want to ask, is this hard to do? Is it hard to learn storytelling in this context? Yeah, I think it's one of those things that um, almost all of us do it naturally in a social environment to a better and lesser extent. We all know people who are fantastic raconteurs, but I think everyone tells stories and we know how to do that. A lot of people feel uncomfortable to do it in a business context. In fact, many people think that storytelling is unbusinesslike, and that's a barrier. That's something you just need to get over. I mean, as soon as you persuade yourself and notice that, oh, the really best business people are actually doing it all the time, uh, that'll help you get over that. But it still is, it's still a little bit like picking up the phone to call someone you don't know. You have to overcome a little bit of fear to to just launch into a story in a business conversation, particularly if it's an important business meeting. So that that takes some practice. And I coach yeah. my clients to do that. And, and we we help prepare the story. There, there are obviously better versions of any story. And the more that you practice it, the tighter it becomes and the better it goes. So a little bit of practice helps. But anyone can do it is the answer to your question. Right. Right, and you know, and, and, you know, you do raise a point there that there are folks who say that, well, storytelling is so unprofessional. You just got to mm. lay out the facts. But you know what I've I've thought for years, and I found this to be true time and time again, is that it can be a professional business environment, whatever that means, as much as you want it to be. But mm. ultimately, you're dealing with people, and these are people Correct. who have experiences, who have feelings who have personal journeys of their own 
And what they do at work or what they do as the leader of their business is just simply one part of that journey. They're human beings and have the same types of responses as any other human being. It's, uh, I mean, it's, That's it's right. Jack Welch. Yeah, as Jack Welch uh, famously said, you know, his business is not some pompous-ass thing. No, that's right. And I think when people are saying that storytelling is unbusinesslike, what they're pushing back on is, is probably bad storytelling, you know, where you're wasting people's time by, right. by, you know, going on and on about some story. So, you know, the more consequential the conversation, if you're talking to a corporate CFO or a very busy person, your stories had better be tight and you better make a business point. In fact, there are, there are five aspects of a business story that really must be present. And if you miss any one of these, then you, you run the risk of, of wasting people's time. So the, yeah. the, first aspect, the first aspect is it has to be a story. And a lot of people say they're telling a story and they're not telling a story. They're actually just pumping out some facts. So its story, by definition, is a sequence of related events. This happened, then, his, then this happened, and then this happened because of that previous thing, and then this happened. So if it's not a sequence of events, it's not a story, and it's hard to listen to. As soon as you start just throwing in facts, um, it becomes not a story. So people will say, you know, our company was founded in 1985. Good, that sounds like the start of a story. And then they'll say, and we're the largest company in the United States, and we're in Chicago, New York, and Los Angeles. Well, that's not a story. That's fact. That's right. unrelated. That's yeah. And so yeah. you've suddenly stopped telling a story, and you've started being boring. So, that's, so it has to be a sequence of related events. The next thing is um, you need to start your story the right way, and the best way to do that is time and place. As soon as you say... You know, in 1996 when I was in London and my boss called me into his office, I'm signalling that a story is starting and people relax and they listen. Just like when you have your, your child and you say once upon a time, that's the signal to a fairy tale, a not true story in that case, and the child just relaxes and listens. And it's the same in a business right. environment. If you trigger the story the right way to start, get the setting right, people know that you're about to tell a true story. And I don't, I don't say I'm going to tell a story because I don't want to put them off. I don't want them to think that you know, they might have a bad association with the word story. I might just say, well, that just reminds me of you know, when I was transferred to Norway. Um, the next thing is your story has to revolve around a central human character. And I'll talk a little bit more about who that character is, but people are interested in what happens to other people, so your story should be about someone, most often yourself, but it should be about, maybe it's about a researcher in your organization or about another one of your clients, but we need a hero in that story, and the story has to be around that. The fourth element is your story can't be predictable. If it's not surprising in some way, it's, it's a boring story. And if you tell a lot of stories like that, <laughs> you'll be an uninteresting person. So, so it has to have an element of unpredictability in it. That's what makes it an interesting story. And finally, most critically important, it has to make a relevant business point. It has to fit into the conversation that you were just having. Otherwise, you really are time-wasting. And if it's, if it's an important business meeting, you know, that won't do. That You just can't be telling any old story from the point of entertainment. You know, it belongs somewhere else. It belongs at the barbecue or in the pub or something like that, but not in a business meeting. So those are the four, five points. Got to be a sequence of events. Start it with a time and place. Make it around a character. Make it surprising and make a point. If you do that and if you can keep it to one or two minutes, we're talking just little anecdotes, then it'll work brilliantly for you. Yeah, and I think that's a great outline, and I'm going to encourage everybody, for that reason alone, make sure you're subscribed to the Business Creators Radio Show on whichever one of the networks we're on is your favorite because that's something you want to go back and listen to. What Mike has done is given you a great outline for how <laughs> to build a powerful business story. Remember some of the elements he mentioned earlier. It's got to be tight. It's got to be relevant. It's got to be entertaining. Gets people to lean in. These are all very very important things, and you know we touched on 
how stories can go wrong. And one of the points is that if you miss any of the five points that Mike just shared with you, the five fundamental aspects, you miss any one of those, and your story can go wrong. Uh, do you have any anecdotals about stories that have gone wrong that maybe you've done or you've seen happen, just so that we can get a sense that we're all in this together and we can all learn from each other? Yeah, that's it's that's an interesting question. I, I, I I'll tell there were, when I was writing seven stories, I was thinking about good storytellers that I knew, and and at that time, which is a bit over a year ago now, yeah, year and a half ago, um, I'd been doing some consulting work for um, a particular company. It was a, it's an IT services company with about 180 staff and. And these these guys are like the um, the special forces troops of software development. They they are brilliant right. programs. They come in and get get started. And their CEO, who was the founder of the company, was the chief salesperson. And and his critical issue was no one else could sell. He had this business of highly technical people, and he was really the only person that could sell. And um, and he came into the workshop that I'd been running, and he just started telling story after story after story. It was absolutely fascinating. And he didn't stop. And one of the um, one of the things I already knew about this guy Joe was from his staff was they couldn't get him to shut up. You know, they take him to a business meeting. He talked all the time. And 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 so, but you know, he had the skill that had founded a company of you now what 180 people. So he was definitely a great salesperson. And he could have been even better, in my view, if he had worked out the sharing part, stopping and handing the baton back over to the client and getting the client to tell their story. Um, but what I say to people is that even even defective as that was, and he'd drive his own staff crazy because he'd just keep telling stories, he's still a much better salesperson than people that didn't tell any stories. So he's... So, you know, that's interesting. The the guy that still that doesn't give the other person time to to get their story in still goes better than the person who doesn't hasn't figured out they need to tell stories. So that's an example of where I wouldn't say it goes wrong, but it could go better um, by being a little bit more deliberate about it. And Joe hadn't realised that it was his stories that were winning the business. And what what we worked with him on was was getting those stories out from him, recording them, and getting his team to be able to tell those same stories. And they're going brilliantly. That, that now he has a team of people that can tell these stories, and his business is going even better than before. The biggest mistakes in storytelling, Adam, you, are, you may not know you made this mistake, but if you ever tell a story that isn't true, that can be found out, or if you tell a story and make out that it's your own story and it really happened to someone else, um, there's a good chance that you're found out. Actually, there's a good chance you're found out as you tell it because stories are kind of lie detectors. Um, we're pretty good at knowing whether right. when someone tells a story, it really happened to them. Because what happens in a story is not just the words, the emotions of what happened in that story, in that event come out as we tell it. It comes out in our voice tone, the language that we use. If we're telling something that didn't really happen, most of us are quite good at figuring that out. We've got pretty good BS detectors. And um, so strong counsel there to, to go looking for stories that are true. And, uh, and that's a, a good practice in business anyway. So, yeah. So, you know, Mike, it's interesting you say this whole thing, and I agree that authenticity is very important. Now, I've also been made aware of a persuasive technique where, in some cases, it may make sense to tell a story, even if it happened to you, and say it happened to a friend of yours. And the reason that that can be helpful is because it may help the person on the other end relate to the story better because they may have a challenge relating to you as they're still getting to know you, but they might not have the same issue relating to the story. Once they can relate to the story, actually, they can relate to you better as the person who told it. Also, it gives you mm. some 
leeway because in, even in telling the story accurately, it may from you sound like a bit of braggadocio, but if you're telling it as if it's something that happened to somebody you know or a friend of yours, then you're just relating a set of facts as they occurred. Now, the little sleight of hand around that that I was also made aware of is we all need to be our own best friends. So if you're telling a story about yourself, it did technically happen to a friend of yours. Now, I know that's kind of playing with things a little <laughs> bit, but I want to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, I look, that that brings up a fascinating area of discussion. So well, for my, my upfront thing to say is that um, I wouldn't want to give the impression that something happened to someone else that really happened to me. But if you really wanted to tell a story where, you know, you look fantastic, you know, and it would sound like bragging, and if you told that story and said at the end, well, by the way, that was actually me, um, that then you've really told the truth, uh, but you've got through the story, so you've really got their attention. But what I would say is that um, don't be afraid of stories that seem to put you in a bad light. Um, right. So you're know, being afraid that you might sound like bragging. Um, the truth is we are all vulnerable humans that make mistakes all the time. And sure. if, the, if something went brilliantly, brilliantly right for you, um, it may not have been your genius. It may have been, and probably was, some good fortune or avoidance of bad fortune. And I think if you look into your story and, and you know, like I, I don't mind saying that, you know, storytelling didn't come naturally for me. You know, that I'm an engineer. I needed to teach myself that. Um, and I was lucky. I was extremely fortunate in my first sales role. That was, that was good fortune. It wasn't, my, it wasn't my skill that won the biggest deal in the division in the first uh, year of my, my rookie sales year. It was my client that did that. And, and being honest about those things and being vulnerable about those things is really what connects in a story. So I think you're right to want to avoid the bragging kind of story um, but the solution is probably not to um, is probably not to say it happened to someone else. The solution is to be brave and tell the truth about that thing that went really right, and to acknowledge where you had good fortune and and uh, you know and what your real fears were and how that could have gone wrong for you and what you were really worried about, and then it's a more relatable story. We. But being vulnerable in our stories, if you do that and if you put some personal fears, the things that you're worried about, into the story, what it allows the other person to do is to tell you their true, authentic story. And this is, this is where rapport really starts. If you, if you tell a bragging sort of story about how great you are, they are not going to respond with any kind of story. Or if they do, they'll start making up stuff and you're not going to get any kind of proper connection. So what I say about the personal story is we we want to we we should allow ourselves to be vulnerable in the in the hope that they will be vulnerable back to us and tell us how things really are in their business and not just some story. We want to know how things really are. And the clue to that is being vulnerable. Now, if you're telling someone else's story, like the story of your CEO or some other person in your organization, by all means, you can pump them up, um, right. and you should. But our story, you know, the truth is, Adam, we all have our struggles. Every single one of us, uh, we all have our vulnerabilities, and that actually is what connects, not the, the superhuman feats or the bits of good luck that we might have had in our career. Right. And you know, I I I think you you know I, I tend to agree with everything you've you've shared there. So going along with some of what we've covered up until now, um, you mentioned to me in the green room that you wanted me to ask you, and I apologize, I cannot remember exactly the exact phraseology, but there's an issue with hiring salespeople and storytelling. That could be what you want me yeah. to ask you. Is that it? Yeah, well, I asked you about your audience, and and you told me that right. 
that you're you're really focused on people who are building their own business and they're they're right. they're probably started it up as a, as a single operation, single person operation, and they're they're in that process of building it up and 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 I meet a lot of people like that as well and and what I observe is they've found a way to build their business, but it's very difficult for them to hire people that can sell as well as they do. And this is, a, this is a really common thing. And they may not be aware that they have stories and they're telling stories. They're doing it unconsciously. And the people they hire don't have those stories. And so this leads to a massive frustration. You know, you hire people, you hire some guy who on paper looks like top gun salesperson, seems to have done brilliantly. And it takes forever for that person to be able to sell. And what's the reason? And it's not them, it's not that salesperson, it's you. You haven't noticed that there are stories that you've got to get out there. You haven't prepared the ground for a salesperson in your organization by taking the time to figure out which of the stories that you tell really are compelling and need to be recorded. So you haven't set up a process for someone to come in and help you sell and scale your business. And it's st looking at stories in that way and appreciating that, that I need to get those stories out into a story library, into a process. You know, we need this story and then this story and then this story. For that type of customer, that's the story that really works. The, that success story really works. Um, you know, until you do that, you don't have a scalable business. And many people don't appreciate that getting the stories out into a sales process is what allows them to scale their business. It's a truly important insight for people trying to scale a business. Right, right. I think that's I think that's all very important. Now, the title of your book is Seven Stories Every Salesperson Must Tell. So the obvious yep. question is, and I know that to truly understand this, obviously, somebody's going to want to visit your website at my7stories.com and claim their copy of your book now, as I'm going to do, because I want a copy of this book as well, is yep. what are these seven stories and what, why do we need to understand the yeah. distinctions between these seven stories? So the, I started, I, I did explain the first three. So the first three stories are your personal story, your key staff or key person story, and your company right. story. And what those three stories together or in combination, you know, if you're the business owner, then your personal story and your company story are kind of the same thing. So, so that's one story. But if you're a salesperson, that's two stories that you may tell merging one into the next. And we're telling those stories to position ourselves as an authority and someone who's credible and relatable and to be able to say to the to the buyer, you know, what about you, you know, and, and to get that story sharing going. And that's how we connect. But once we've connected, the next problem we have as a salesperson is we need to change the mind of that buyer. Selling is about changing someone's mind because they don't have a concept of your solution yet, or if they do, they've got probably only half the concept. So we've got to put into their mind the idea about how their life will change how they'll be a different person after they've bought what we're selling. And there are two stories that do that. The first is the insight story. When you're in business, you know something about your clients, your buyer's market or their business that they need to know about. You have insights. And, but the problem is it's not usually that – it doesn't usually work that well to just tell your buyer you don't know this thing and you need to know it because that sounds arrogant and your client, your buyer probably knows their business or thinks they know their business pretty well. So we need to teach them how we learnt that insight. And the insight story is the story of how we discovered that thing and how we got our market to take notice of it. And I'll give you an example from the medical industry. It's a quite famous story. So in 1982 in, in Perth in Western Australia, there was a young Master's student actually uh, at the um, at one of the universities there in Western Australia, who was looking for his PhD thesis topic, and his professor sent him down to talk with one of the researchers. He was looking into the problem of stomach ulcers, 
And at the time in the 80s, the prevailing wisdom was that stomach ulcers were caused by stress. And this guy, Robin Warren, down in the basement in the lab, thought that it could be that stomach ulcers were caused by bacteria. But that idea didn't get much traction because uh, it was thought that bacteria couldn't survive in the acidic environment of the stomach. So anyway, Barry Marshall, the, the master's student, um, took that on as his PhD thesis topic, did a brilliant thesis to, to show that stomach ulcers were in fact caused by bacteria, and there, it went nowhere. No one believed him, and uh, there was no agreement on that whatsoever. So then he decided to perform a little stunt. He um, produced a, a bacterium from a culture of uh, infected ulcerous patient and gave himself an endoscopy, drank that um, bacterial solution, gave himself stomach ulcers, treated himself with the specific antibacteria and wrote a paper about that. And that paper definitely got traction and Marshall and Warren eventually won the Nobel Prize for Medicine in 2005 for finding the cure for stomach ulcers. Now that's that's an insight story, Adam. It sh it shows you the the discovery process, how you learnt something, and how you got your market to accept a new idea. And that's the problem that every business has when they have a brand new idea. That's the startup company's problem. They've got a, a brand new idea, and no one quite accepts it. So how do you teach your market that idea? Well, the answer is the insight story, and the hero of the insight story is the researcher, the P Barry Marshall, the person that discovered that thing and how they discovered it and how they got their idea accepted. So that's the story number four. And story number five is the success story. And a lot of people mistake success stories with case studies. And the classic case study is, here is my client in this terrible situation. Here's us, our company, flying in and fixing the problem. And here's how wonderful things are for them now. It's in three events. It's not very relatable to your buyer because it paints your company, the vendor, as the hero. So you need to tell success stories in six parts, not three parts. I'll give you a quick example and then I'll, I'll, um, then I'll, I'll break down the six parts. So one of my early clients, we'll call him Jeff, is in financial services. He had uh, worked with his brother in Western Australia to build up a company that was targeting high net worth individuals. So these are their clients were people who had built up their own businesses, probably quite a lot like your listeners, and they had complex personal finances. Their business finances and their personal finances were a complicated mixture. And Jeff, what Jeff had done was built some very special bespoke software over a couple of years to actually manage the, the financial affairs of people like that. I spent a lot of money, and Jeff was the, the technical person in his business. His brother was the salesperson and CEO. And this software development was causing some angst. Uh, the more money Jeff spent on it, the more his brother was um, getting nervous that they wouldn't be able to sell it. So eventually they got the software working well, and then his brother said, well, get out there and sell it, and Jeff couldn't sell it. And about that time, he came to our company via my business partner, Sue, and, um, and I, and Jeff said, you know, how do I sell this software? I, I want to be able to sell it. And I evaluated his conversation skills and told him, look, you know, I think you should hire a salesperson because, you know, you're a deeply technical person and, and there's a lot you would need to learn to be able to sell this. So I think you should hire a salesperson. And Jeff said to me, yeah, look, I will do that, Mike but I really want to know how to do it myself. Could you have a go at teaching me? And, and I did. I spent several months. I taught him storytelling. I taught him how to use the phone. I completely changed the way he interacted with his clients, and he started to sell. And the more he succeeded in selling, the worse his relationship with his brother went to the point that they had a massive blow-up and split. They ended up almost going to court with each other. I think his brother was threatened by the fact that um, that he was now starting to do what the CEO's role was, being able to sell. And, um, so anyway, eventually they, they didn't go to court, but they did split the business, and Jeff ended up taking on the entire business himself. 
and he's going brilliantly. He knows how to run a business, he knows how to build his software, and he knows how to sell it. And he's he's succeeding on his own. So that's that's a six-part success story. You might have noticed I started with Jeff, and I explained his business situation, and I explained the challenge that he had. So the first part is Jeff in his natural business. That's where you start the story. And then we introduced the challenge, which was he'd created the software and he couldn't sell it. And then we introduce the vendor company, which is my company. And, and our role in the story is as guide. We're not the hero. We're just the guide. So I explained to – then we explain how, how the hero met the guide and then the plan. What was the plan that the guide gives the hero? Well, there was a training program there, which he followed. He was a brilliant student. And then how do we avoid failure? So the failure part has to be in the story. Well, in Jeff's case, the near failure was the fallout with his brother and, and the whole business nearly falling over and then achieving success. So those are the six parts. The, the successful client in their setting introduced the challenge. How did they meet the guide, your company? What was the plan? How did they avoid failure? And then how did they succeed? And if you put your success stories into that structure, they're highly interesting, they're fascinating for your buyer and they really get their attention. And what you're doing is you're teaching them how to engage you, how, how the plan works, how they need to follow that plan or they might fail and how they will succeed. And they can picture themselves in that story. They can picture how it will be for them and that's how you sell with, those, with a success story. So we're up to story number five and right. most of my career yeah most of my career has been selling pretty big ticket items in the millions of dollars and no one buys something that's really expensive on their own there's a decision committee usually that sits it's interesting you know in, in my family there's a decision committee that's me and my wife if we're buying something more than a couple hundred bucks you know we'll talk about it and it's so it's so in in you know, in companies as well, there'll be a few people involved in the decision and the salesperson is not there. You're, you're not in that committee discussion. Um, so how do you influence that? And there are some stories that will influence that decision, closing the deal decision. The first one is the value story. And it's the story that teaches your buyer how your company or how you will behave after they've bought. What do you like after you've, after you've bought? And that's a values story. I call that the values story. What are the values of your business? I was the fortunate recipient hearing one of those stories when I was working in uh, Siemens. For your listeners, Siemens is a massive German in, industrial engineering company. Not, not much of a sales organization, but brilliant engineers. And I was in the CEO's office one day uh, about 10 years ago and he was taking, I couldn't hear the other side of the phone call, but he was on the phone and it sounded like a serious call. He put the phone down and he said, Mike, that was that was a, um, a person from the state government of Victorian state in Australia where we are. And they were wanting to know about a project that we're involved in that, that's going wrong. Uh, they were supplying electrical transformers to a subsea electricity cable that was going to connect Tasmania, which is where I grew up actually in Australia, with Australia 400 kilometres under the ocean. And the ship that was bringing the, the transformers, the electrical components from Germany to Australia, uh, hit a storm in the Southern Ocean, broke its rudder, and smashed all six of the, the transformers that were for this big project, a multi-hundred billion dollar project. Uh, and um, so these transformers were smashed beyond repair and as an 18-month build program. So Albert, the CEO, was, was fielding some very nervous calls and he told me uh, in the meeting, he said, you know, Mike, the, uh, the Siemens board, it's a $100 billion company, they, they did, had an emergency meeting to discuss this project and they didn't discuss who are we litigating and how are we getting uh, money back for these broken transformers. They discussed how do we make six transformers in record time and um, they built those transformers, the new ones, in months, not year and a half and the whole project hit its delivery schedule. And that's a value story. That's the kind right. of story that your client wants to hear when, 
when or before they're making that kind of decision. And it doesn't, it's not that you, it's not that you can tell that story in the stakeholder meeting, but if someone in that stakeholder meeting has heard that story and someone else says, look, you know, what are the risks here? Are, are these guys going to deliver? Then the tone of voice of that person that heard the story is going to look, yeah, you know, what are you talking about? This, this is Siemens. Of course they're going to deliver. The, you have, you've won the deal. You've persuaded them just by the alignment that you've created with your sponsor in that stakeholder meeting. So that's value story, and those stories are highly persuasive. The story about how you persuade, how your leaders behave when things go wrong, highly persuasive. And the final story is what I call the teaching story. It's really the sales manager's story. And this is how you get deals back on track when they go wrong in those decision meetings. The, what happens in that stakeholder meeting is that new people start to come into the the final decision-making process. People who are concerned about risk, so the CFO maybe gets concerned or the commercial manager or the safety manager or whatever, people who are concerned about risk for this project or even people that would like that money spent on some other project. So you get these resource conflicts and these can be really tricky for your sponsor, the person who's on your side that wants to get this deal done internally in that company. And you can teach them how to get around those problems with a teaching story and they're quite context specific but the person who knows how to close those kind of deals the sales manager is the person who can teach your client those stories and say look this is how you get around it and if we have time I'll, I'll give a brief example um, when I was selling um, in the telecommunications and media space uh, we were putting in a, 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 doing a project with a big media company for music download. And this is a music download platform before Apple had an iPod. So it's showing my age a little bit. But, and it was a revenue, right. revenue share project. So we were, we were selling technology and the media company was going to share the revenue with us on a per song download basis. And it's a big project. Well, to sell that involved many tens of people on their side and many tens of people on our side, which flown people from Germany and Europe into uh, into Australia and we got to the final contract negotiation and, and I went up to their headquarters with a whole bunch of our technical people and we went led into this enormous room with a great big long table and all of the people that I'd already been dealing with good friends now from the client side and our people sitting the other side of the table and at the head of the table was this new person that I hadn't met and he was their chief negotiator and this guy was an animal really he just proceeded to pull the contract apart and demand terms and conditions that were just outrageous they were impossible he wanted reliability that wasn't possible he wanted to change the revenue share to something that couldn't possibly work and I came out of the first meeting thinking well this is just a deal that won't happen it's impossible and I think someone when I when I um, went into my office, one of the other more experienced sales guys looked at my face and knew something was wrong and asked me about it. And I told him what had happened. And he said to me, Mike, um, why don't you ring that negotiator up and go and have a chat with him? And, you know, I hadn't even thought of that as a possibility. And I, but I did. I, I rang him up and went to his office in the headquarters and we spent two hours. And then I, and I realized through the conversation that he was negotiating a deal that he had Absolutely no idea what it was about. But he was trained as a negotiator. He was trained to make outrageous demands. And so I had to teach him how the whole thing went together and what, you know, what was actually negotiable and what wasn't. And we went into the second negotiation meeting. He didn't say anything about that meeting, that private meeting that I'd had with him. And he was exactly the same obnoxious, demanding character but he carefully skirted around every non-negotiable issue and we closed the deal. And that's a teaching story. Yeah. And, and it's a story that's a type of story that you can use to help you close a deal. And there are others. There are stories around cost of delay and resource conflicts. And there are many examples in the book that will uh, teach your, your readers, your, your listeners, you know, how to, 
to do these stories. But but that's a that's a difficult area when you're not in the meeting. How do you persuade? And a lot of people don't realise that good salespeople can remotely persuade with their stories if they've told them in the right sequence in the right way. So that's the seven stories, Adam. Personal story, wow. key person story, company story to connect insight stories and success stories to get mind share and to change their mind, value stories and teaching stories to close the deal. Well, see, that's fantastic. And again, this is another reason why I'm going to encourage everybody to make sure you subscribe to Business Creators Radio Show on your favorite syndication network so that you can download this episode, go back and listen to it again, and explore further this whole topic of the stories entrepreneurs must tell. It's a great storytelling topic. It's a great story selling topic. Now, I imagine at this point, we're right near the top of the hour here, so I think this is a great point to leave off because you have massively over-delivered, which is awesome. By sharing the seven types of stories, you've basically given us an outline that we can follow when we go to uh, consume your book or when we choose to invest a little bit further. So for... So, Mike, for anybody who may be on the edge of their seat right now, uh, wanting to go a little bit further with this, how do you serve business creators? And when somebody contacts you, how do they do it and what can they expect? Yeah, so I'm easy to find. You put Mike Adams' seven stories into Google and you'll find me very easily on the web. Uh, and the book is a good starting point for me. It's available. It's still on sale on Kindle at, I think, three bucks or so. Um, right, and there's an audio audio book and there's a paper book and all the rest of it. The book has connections into online training, which is free, so that you can also listen to some of these story examples um, as videos. Uh, there are connections out of the book. If people would like to go further and engage me, I, I do work with companies all over the world, uh, and I do that by either coaching them. My, my company is called The Story Leader, so www.thestoryleader.com and I have programs where I will coach business leaders to be the story leader in their organization and I also do engagements with teams, typically revenue teams. Um, that tends to be a little bit expensive unless you've got a team of, you know, let's say 10 people or so, uh, but happy to do that as well. But start with the book because, you know, that's I wrote the book because it's impossible to get these ideas out one client at a time. You've got, you've got to get it into a book before you can get your ideas widely disseminated. And, and this concept works. It's as old as, as there are people. It's as old as humanity, storytelling. But it's still a bit of a secret because people don't really notice stories that well. And when you do, it's, it's a secret key. You know, when you notice them... It's a brilliant tool for your business. Right. Well, again, this has been a fantastic time. And what I'd just like to say is Mike Adams of My7Stories.com, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education. Thank you, Adam. And you're, you're a delightful host. I, I, I love uh, when we can have a bit of backwards and forwards. So thank you. And thanks very much to your listeners. If they've stuck this long on the podcast, I thank them very much. All right. And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Please check us out, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, and be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite network so that you can access this information and hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.